Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Okay, good evening. Uh, my name's Afi. Good evening. Uh, I do do panto, so that's why I quite like participant <laughs> engagement. Um, uh, I'm going to carry on the series. Um, we're looking at the purpose-driven church. We're looking at discipleship this evening. Uh, before we go any further, I'm just going to pray for us. Uh, you need that when I'm speaking. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> Father God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us this evening. We pray your will be done. We pray that you would meet us, that you would change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're looking at uh, discipleship, um, and I think that's quite a Christian word. I feel like it's not a word that you often encounter um, in other parts of your life. It's kind of a fairly kind of church or, or religion or faith word, discipleship. Um, I, in fact, drove from Devon this afternoon, so I came up from Devon, I popped in to see my cat, make sure he was okay, and then I came straight here. Um, and I was visiting my sister and my mum, my dad, and my niece, um, and I've got a picture of my sister and I when we were little. Look how cute we were. It's a shame we grew up. Um, <laughs> but my sister is about 18 months older than me. And I just loved her growing up. I wanted to be where she was. I wanted to do what she did. I just wanted to be with her all the time. And if any of you are older sisters, you will know how incredibly annoying that is when your younger sibling's like, I want to come, I want to play. Um, but the reason I mention it is I think that's actually a really good definition of discipleship, is that kind of I want to imitate, I want to mimic, I want to be just like you, is what that original word for discipleship means, imitate, to mimic. Um, and the amazing thing about the Bible, and there are lots of amazing things, but one of them is that actually you can pick it up, open it up, and it's possible for God to speak to you through it without a theology degree. Um, there's some wisdom about where you might start with that, maybe not in Revelation, um, but God can speak to us. He doesn't need us to have a kind of deep theology. Um, but it's also true that when we have a bit of context, a bit of background, a bit of understanding, it can sometimes just help us to kind of get to grips with what it is that God's saying in, in a new and different way. Um, so that's what we're going to look at tonight in terms of discipleship. What would it have meant then? How did Jesus kind of engage with this topic? What does it mean for us now? So show of hands if you're involved in education in any way. Any kind of education? Okay, thank you very much. Um, so education in Jesus' day was a bit different. Uh, it was for the boys to start with. Boo. Um, uh, it was centered around the Torah, which is the first four books of our Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, and really, it was about, for each boy in their family, was this desire that they would become a rabbi. That was like the ultimate goal for any kind of young Jewish boy. And uh, rabbis were these teachers that were given the authority to decide how to interpret scripture, how to interpret God's word. They would decide how you lived a righteous life, what would or wouldn't please God. And their education system was kind of in three different sections. Um, it was the Bet Safar, Bet Talmud, and Bet Midrash, which should be on the next slide, Barney, if you don't mind. Thank you. Um, so the first stage, the Bet Safar, was from five to ten. Jewish boys would memorize those first four books. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, Deuteronomy, those five books. Um, and by the age of 10, they would have that memorized. Most kind of Jewish boys would kind of know. They'd um, spend their kind of four years doing that. 
And at the end of that stage, um, the kind of top of the group, the guys that had kind of done it really well, that had memorized it particularly well, they were invited to stay on for stage two. Um, but everyone else was told, well done, you know, you've, you've, you've learned some scriptures, that's great, but now go back to your families. They need people to work in those industries. Go and be a fisherman, go and do, be a carpenter. You know, go and help your families. Off you go. You didn't, haven't quite made it. And then stage two would be from the age 10 to 14, where they would then start memorizing the rest of scriptures. So Psalms, prophets, um, what we kind of call the Old Testament. Um, and it, it wasn't uncommon in that day, by the age of 14, for a Jewish boy to kind of know all of the Old Testament, to have that kind of in his brain. And it's also around that age that they'd start learning how to ask and answer questions. Slightly different to the way we would ask and answer questions. Um, but they'd learn how to do that. And we've got a story in the Bible of Jesus actually being um, in, in synagogue, learning how to ask and answer questions. And his parents lost him and they were all very freaked out. Um, but that's the kind of stage that um, you're at at kind of 14. Um, and then again, at the end of this stage, um, the kind of top lot, the ones that really got it, would be invited on to kind of stage three, and everybody else would be told, you tried really hard, um, but goodbye, off you go. Go and, go and learn the family business. So stage three, um, at 14, this was the best of the best. The Cambridge and Oxford of students would then take the next step to becoming a rabbi. And that was you'd go and find a rabbi that you thought, yeah, I like what you're saying, and, I th and you're a respected rabbi, and you would ask to become their disciple. Now, different rabbis had different interpretations of scripture. So you would have scripture, and you'd have their interpretations. So, for example, um, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Um, they would then look at that and be like, right, so what does that mean? How far can I walk on the Sabbath before that becomes work? How much can I carry on the Sabbath before that becomes work? And different rabbis would each kind of interpret this slightly differently. Um, they get a bit of a bad rap, um, you know, the way that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees quite rightly in the New Testament, but the, the heart of it was really they wanted to please God originally back in the day. It was, I want to get this right. So how do I get it right? Let's chuck a load of rules around it to try and make it right, um, which we all know isn't really the way to go about it. Now, they wanted to find disciples that would take their interpretation, their understanding, and faithfully take that forward. This was their like, life's work, um, working out what they thought the scripture says and teaching that on so it would be taken on further. So to make sure, they would quiz this boy that has come to them and said, I want to be a rabbi, and they would check, can you memorize scripture? Um, do you know how to ask and answer questions? How do you approach a problem? How do you interpret scripture? What is kind of going on for you? They didn't just want the cleverest, they wanted the, the person that they think, yeah, you can do this. I see potential in you. You can do what I do. And it's quite a complicated system. One of the things that they would um, ask of a, a young Jewish boy is uh, something called nemes, where they would ask a question and they would give three lines of scripture. But the question was about the fourth line of scripture that they didn't share. So the boy had to know that fourth line. Then the answer would the boy would give, he would give three lines of scripture and his answer would be in the fourth line of scripture that he didn't say. So he was proving, I know what it is you're talking about to the point where I can answer you and I also understand the context of the passage. Very complicated. The amount of times that I can give you a quote from the Bible and I've got no idea what's either side of it. Um, and this was a way of kind of them testing, do you really understand the scriptures? So the rabbi quizzed you and finally said, yes, 
you're good enough, you can kind of come and be my disciple. Then the uh, would-be disciple would submit kind of to the teachings of that rabbi. They'd say, right, in terms of scripture, everything you say is now, you know, what I'm going to adhere to, what I'm going to follow. Um, and the kind of rules, the way of life, um, that their interpretation was called their yoke. And that's how you would describe it. And when you came under a rabbi, they would say, take my yoke upon you, come and be my disciple. And this was like winning the lottery, winning the X Factor, getting a promotion all in one. This was like the ultimate win um, that you could ever get. Um, and they would, they would leave, they would go. They'd be like, great, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, we're off now. You know, mum can wait, dinner on the table, doesn't matter. If you've said yes, I'm following you. Now, there was always a possibility, of course, that the rabbi would test you and quiz you and then be like, mm, mm, no. You don't quite make the grade. You, don't, you haven't quite got what it takes to do what I do. And they would say something like this, which I think is a, a really interesting. Um, obviously, you know the Torah, um, but you don't have what it takes to be like me. Go, learn the family business, live a good life that your sons may grow up to better than you. So this kind of blessing was go and have kids and see if they can become rabbis because you're not quite good enough to make the cut. So... A disciple would be the best of the best, the top of the class, the person that not only was the cleverest, but had that real potential to kind of go and to do. It was a real honor to make that grade. All of that is in way of introduction, <laughs> because when it comes to Jesus, how did he choose his disciples? Well, Matthew 4, verse 18 to 22, and I'm reading from a New Life version, so if you are following in your Bibles, it might be slightly different, um, says this. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. They were Simon, his other name was Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were putting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, who their names were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were sitting in a boat with their father, mending their nets. Jesus called them. At once they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. So to start with, Jesus goes to these guys and approaches them. They were out learning their family trade, which from what we know of the education means that at some point a rabbi had said to them, you don't quite make the grade. You're not quite good enough to do this. So they're not the best. They're not the brightest. Jesus doesn't even give them a theology exam to like double check they know what they know. He just says, come, follow me. Peter, Andrew, James, John, fishermen, average Joes, they would have been beyond honoured to be asked. This was like a shot at the big time. Um, and that really finally explained something to me that always bugged me for a long time, which is these guys were fishermen, these were their jobs, they were out like in their boats, and they just drop it and go. And I'm always a bit like, what? why didn't they say, yeah, I'm just going to put the boat away because this is like my livelihood? Or like, why didn't Zebedee, the dad, go, uh, excuse me, chaps, you, you've definitely only done a half day. You, you're not going anywhere yet. Um, but because it was such an honor, such an amazing thing, even their dad would have been like, go, quick, go. The rabbis asked you, go follow him. So that's why they just kind of drop and just go. It was a, a huge honor to be asked to follow a rabbi. Because the rabbi, when he was saying, come be my disciple, was saying, I see you. And I see that you can do this. You can do what I can do. So that's the way that Jesus chose his disciples. He said, I choose you. And that's what he says to each and every one of us this evening, actually. Come, follow me. I see you. I know you. 
I believe in you. You can do what I do. Now maybe we feel like, oh, I have definitely not memorized all of the Old Testament. <laughs> neither have I. Neither are they. Like, neither are disciples. Maybe we're thinking, do you know what, I'd love to, but actually I've got an awful temper and there's no way I can go and follow Jesus until I get this temper sorted. Well, James and John, they were known as the sons of thunder because they had such bad tempers. And yet Jesus says to them, come, follow me. Maybe we've done stuff we're not proud of and we think, actually, this probably counts me out. I'm, I probably don't quite, we're not quite good enough to do this. Well, Matthew, who we don't meet in this text, but is one of the other disciples, was a tax collector and he was a traitor and a thief to his people. He'd done things that made, he was despised by all his peers. You see, we don't need to be the best and the brightest. We don't need to be perfect to follow Jesus. To each and every one of us, Jesus says, come be my disciple, come follow me. Do what I do. Jesus believes in us. And following Jesus isn't about kind of trying really hard. Um, It's not about how good we are, but actually how good God is. Because Jesus the rabbi says to us, and this is in Matthew 11.30, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. His yoke, his way of living, his interpretation for life is easy and my burden is light. And that's what he asks us to take on. So what is Jesus' yoke? What, is, what does he say is the way that we should live? Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second, most important, is similar. Love your neighbor as, your, as much as you love yourself. All other commandments, all the demands of the prophets stem from these two laws and are fulfilled if you obey them. Keep only these and you will find that you are obeying all others. Love God, love people. And then in Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, it says, Watch what God does, then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself. Love like that. Love God. Love people. And that's what we see that Jesus did. He loved God. He found time, a way to spend with him. He listened to him. He followed what he said. And he loved people. He welcomed them and he healed them and he spoke to the people that nobody else would speak to. He loved God and he loved people. Now I know a few people who are training for marathons. Um, Abby, our kids pastor, is one of them. And they're out doing kind of practice runs um, here and there, doing certain long distances. And they are abiding kind of by certain disciplines and making certain sacrifices to go and to do that. And if I was to turn to one of them and say, so what is it you're doing to kind of prepare for the marathon? And they said, do you know what? I'm gonna turn up on the day and I'm just gonna like try really hard we'd all be like, you might die. Please don't do that. Please please train. Um, In a similar way, when we're following Jesus, it's not about just kind of trying really hard, but it is about the option to train, to actually abide by certain disciplines, to make certain sacrifices. So actually, we can live this life. We can follow Jesus. We can be his disciple. And there might be things like worship or prayer or sacrificing a lion so that you can come to church or anything like that. That actually means we're ready to run. But the key thing is, what are the things that help us to love God and love other people? 
I think getting to know God is a really good way of loving him because when we get to know God, we see how much he loves us. When we get to know Jesus, we see how much he loves us. So spend time with him. Listen to him. Spend time with other people uh, who know about him, who will talk to you about him. I think there's also some practical things. So if we want to make time for God in our lives and we think, right, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to spend like 20 minutes reading my Bible and pray, great. Why not go to bed a bit early as well? Like there's some real practical things that will help us. It doesn't need to just be kind of a spiritual discipline that we do. It can be some practical things that allow us to find time for God in our lives. And there are kind of different spiritual disciplines like fasting and solitude and celebration, and they are meant to help us to find ways to love God and love other people more. And, and the kind of the word of warning is let's try not to get the activity mixed up with what it's trying to do. So when you're training for a marathon, the idea isn't to get really good at the training runs, the idea is to get really good at running a marathon. So if we are, say, starting to fast, maybe not eat food for a certain amount of time, the aim is not to see how long we can not eat for. That's not the aim. The aim is to create space in our lives for God to work. And if when we fast food, we become grumpy and mean and horrible, and we are not loving God and we are not loving people, then it's not working for us. We need to find another way. Let's not get the activity mixed up with what it is we're trying to see in our lives. Love people, love God, love people. I think we need to love God in order to love people because quite frankly, people are annoying. <laughs> like, I promise you, everyone in this room, you will have annoyed somebody at some point in your life and if you don't think you have, you're annoying me. So therefore, you have. Um, it's difficult, people are difficult, but if we love God, he helps us. By his Holy Spirit, he transforms us to love other people. His Holy Spirit comes and helps us to be able to do that. So being a disciple following Jesus, putting in any kind of spiritual disciplines. It's not about us earning God's love, about earning approval, about making us good enough to be his disciples, because we can't. That's never going to be the case. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it in God's strength. We are transformed by loving God, by loving others. And those disciplines are really valuable in as much as they allow us to do that, in as much as they allow us to become into the likeness of God. However, I think there's a real danger if we've been a Christian for more than five minutes, so I kind of count my, myself in this, um, that just like the kind of rabbis and the Pharisees, in our desperation to get it right, we just want to please God, we end up putting lots of rules and boundaries and, and heavy burdens on people and on ourselves. We kind of miss the point about trying to be transformed into more like Jesus, and we, we kind of get satisfied with, oh, well, I read my Bible today, tick, whether or not actually that's enabled me to love God more, or enabled me to love people more. Dallas Willard uh, writes this, he says, spirituality, wrongly understood or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. When we get it wrong, it's incredibly tiring. I don't know if you've ever been exhausted under this weight of trying to follow all the rules, trying to get it all right all the time. And it's at that same point, really intimidating, because we're never going to get everything right all the time, and equally totally unchallenging, because we never develop more like Jesus. We never develop um, more, <laughs> this is my exhausted pigeon, um, more into his likeness. I'm not an early bird or a night owl. I'm some form of permanently exhausted pigeon. That's how it feels. <laughs> so 
So a good question to ask ourselves is how do we kind of measure our spiritual life? How do we measure our, our following of Jesus? And I think, and for me, the first thing I thought of was how many, how many times of reading the Bible have I had this week? That must be an indicator of my spiritual life. Whereas actually the question is, how am I growing more like Jesus? How am I growing in the way that I love God and love other people? There are lots of different ways in which we can take time to stop and kind of reflect on our spiritual walk with God. Um, but I was reading a book recently by John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted, which is really interesting, I would recommend it. Um, and at the end of one of the chapters, he had a couple of questions that are just kind of for personal reflection. And I thought it would be helpful this evening if we just kind of on our own took some time to kind of think about that. Now, it may be that you are not a Christian here this evening, and firstly, brilliant, we're so pleased that you're here. Uh, You're very welcome. It may be that some of these questions are not entirely relevant for where you're at at the moment, so please don't worry about that. Um, You're very welcome to reflect on them if they are, but it might be that actually you want to spend some time thinking about this God who loves us so extravagantly. Maybe you've encountered Christianity or faith in this kind of burdened rules kind of way, and this concept of a God that says, I love you, I believe in you, I want you to love me and love other people, that might be new for you. I'd love you to spend some time thinking about that, and even if you want to kind of make a choice this evening to say, yeah, I want to find out more about that kind of God, then we would love to chat and pray with you after the service. So if you are um, a Christian, then the next kind of questions that are kind of come up on the screens are not about guilt or condemnation. It's not a test. We're not going to be comparing notes afterwards. Um, it's purely an opportunity for you, if you want to, to reflect on these. You can think about your shopping list if you'd prefer. That's absolutely fine. But it's an opportunity for you to bring some of these things um, to God in prayer, maybe through prayer ministry. So the first one is, do we tend to care more about appearing spiritual than we do about actually being transformed? And this kind of reminds me of the kind of social media generation where you spend like 60 minutes kind of getting the right photo. It's like, I just woke up like this, ha ha. And really, you've spent 10 hours in your makeup. You know, we put all the effort into looking the right part, looking right. But actually, are we allowing God to transform us? Are we allowing God to see some of the stuff that He's dealing with in our lives? The second one is are we becoming more or less judgmental, exclusive, or proud? See, I think we're very good when we first start following Jesus, of understanding how far away from getting it right we are. But sometimes something happens, and I feel like this happened in my life, where I feel like I've got a bit good at it. I'm like, ha-ha, I know when to raise my hand, and I know, you know when to give the right answer. I feel like I've got this, this Christianity thing done now, thank you very much. But actually, are we still the kind of people where we are approachable, where people want to come and ask us about this faith, they want to ask us about Jesus? And lastly, are we becoming more approachable or less? So it was the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the unclean of the day that would have known to stay clear of the rabbis. The rabbis were the kind of holy people near to God. They should have stayed away from them. And the rabbis somehow got it into their head that that was true as well. And yet Jesus did the opposite. Jesus went to the tax collectors. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the unclean of his day and brought God's love to them. Are we being that open door to people to come and know God? Are we the kinds of people that other people want to approach? For more information about St Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviourssunbury.org.uk.